You're listening to Missing Panther. huge black cat with a jaguar or a panther or something like that. That seriously is a large cat. I immediately scarped to the house, grabbed the weapon of suitable calibre. It was a real nerve-jolting bloody scream, just like a woman getting murdered. I just loped you across in front of me like it was a black animal. And I know from being on a farm what feral cats look like, and it definitely wasn't a feral cat. It, the closest thing I could say it was, it was like a panther. I've seen large feral cats. I've shot large feral cats. This is not a cat. This is what I would call a panther. We noticed a bit of a smell and sort of followed it and found half a kangaroo, half eaten up a, a blue gum tree. It got up on its legs and ran away from us. And I've never seen anything move so fast in my life. So it stopped, it turned and looked at us and it was so clear. It was a cougar, there's no doubt about what it was. Rumours have been swirling for quite some time that panthers or cougars live in the wheat belt and around the Perth hills. It looked like a big cat. If I see it, I will shoot it. The tail really sort of struck me as unusual. In the 1970s, when I was a kid, uh, we always heard a story of a great cat called the quartering cougar. It's not the only mysterious cat-like creature to captivate country WA. Michael, up next, uh, there is a man that is looking for missing panthers in regional WA. He needs your help. Panthers? Is it one of these guys? Oh, I saw a big cat. I don't know. He seems a little bit more legit than that. And we're going to have a little chat then. So you can ask that very disrespectful question. There's been a few sightings over the years and even as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Theories are American soldiers freed pumas, panthers and leopard mascots in World War II or they came from circuses in the early 1900s. Well, I might spend a bit of time in the bush and uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about them around the area so I thought there could be a possibility and uh, when I looked across I was like, wow, this is this is my moment. 7.27 on Triple M. Mitchell and Michael talking big cats. Mitch, joining us now, an elusive man on the hunt for something even more elusive. It's Ben from Missing Panther Podcast. Yeah, mate, G'day, Ben. How are you? Yeah, good guys. Yourself? Yeah, good. Why is it hard to get them on the record? Will the Panthers come and get them? <laughs> I, I think it's just one of those things, you know, like you said earlier, I was listening, by the way. Am I one of those guys? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> I do my background research, guys. You know, people that do come forward with these stories do get ridiculed. What exactly did you see? A big black cat. Yeah. And it wasn't of your domestic cat gone feral. It was much bigger than that. Probably five times that size. Oh, come on. You do believe in these sorts of creatures. They're real. Yeah. Often when you you hear about these big cats, 
sightings. It's a blurry photo. It's a video. And this one, we don't even have any footage. Do you reckon it's it's real? Other people are sceptical. What do you think? Uh, I, I know it's real because I know what I saw with my two eyes, bro. Now, Ben, I am a sceptic. Oh, I think it's great to be a sceptic. You should be. But, I mean, if we can't take a wildlife biologist seriously, I mean, who can we take seriously? Well, they're seeing the big cats again. She said it would have been as high as our kitchen bench. It was less than 20 metres away from us. The tail would have been at least a metre long. She said, you can call me crazy, but I know what I saw. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, I'm, I'm coming along for the hunt. I'm a sceptic, but I want to know the truth. Come along. Listen, I want you guys to listen to all seven apps and then give me a call with some more questions. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, I'm sad. Talking big cats uh, with Ben from Missing Panthers Podcast. You know what I enjoyed? You talked smack and he was listening. Yeah, I, I did appreciate that. He, and he He's probably the still listening you know, now. He, Do you like him? Yeah, because he is a sceptic too, you know, and that's the best place to start when you're investigating. Yeah. In 2016, locals in Capel believed a cougar was attacking and killing sheep. The official position on the big cats is that uh, there is no evidence that they exist in Western Australia. You can spend two years in the field and never see one. Is there any doubt in your mind that you saw a big black cat? No, no, not at all. No, we know what we've seen. Cordery's renowned for, for cold. Oh, there was freezing. We left the house. We hadn't gone a couple of k's and the bloody thing was there in the paddock. It was about 10 past one when I had that fired the bloody shot. By this time, I was getting a bit jittery and shaking. I wasn't steady enough. If I'd have hit that, it could have changed the whole attitude of the people in Western Australia. It was 1978 in the heart of Perth City. The head journalist of the Australian newspaper gazes out his office window, unaware the slow news week ahead would be the catalyst for a story he would have never imagined. His name was David O'Reilly. On a usual day, David spent his time researching political affairs across the country, but on this day he was scratching to find anything worth reporting. Seizing the opportunity to sink his teeth into something new, David went looking through competitor newspapers, hoping to find something his paper could perhaps expand on and further develop. Then, at the turn of a page, David found exactly what he was looking for, a headline which triggered what would become a growing obsession for years to come. Traps go out for mystery killer. The story was referring to farmers from a small rural community south of Perth named Quartering, who were claiming that a large cat-like animal was responsible for killing sheep on their properties and that several puma-like animals had been seen. David thought if there was an ounce of truth to what these farmers were saying, then it could be one of the most important wildlife stories we've had in Australia. Keeping an open mind, David made a call to one of the farmers at the centre of all the stock killing, then running through a carefully selected set of questions in order to make his determination on whether to explore this story further or hang up the phone and walk away. I was looking for a flaw, an ulterior motive, a contradiction, even a faint indication that something wasn't right. But within a short space of time, the conversation had gripped my imagination. I suddenly had an urge to investigate what this farmer was saying. Although I was sceptical, I wanted to know more. And just like that, the head journalist of one of Australia's top-selling newspapers leaves the comfort of Perth City behind, setting off on a journey into Western Australia's vast bushland. And wouldn't return until a new name for the region was born. Cougar Country.
The 250-kilometre journey south of Perth took me down the Albany Highway until I reached a quiet town named Arthur River. From here, it was a matter of deciphering the rough directions given to me by the farmer. I travelled through thick timber country until I reached a remote railway siding. Then finally, the farm gate I'd been looking for. It's been over 40 years since David O'Reilly went down to quartering, so tracking down farmers with stories from the time who happened to be both alive and willing to talk with me was always going to be a tricky task. Even some of the locals shared their doubts. Really, though, it's about everyone's dead. Like most of the blokes, you want to talk to them, half of them are bloody dead. A few of the old codgers are near in trouble because most of them have died. But with the help from the Arthurshire's local paper, The Bleat, who kindly put an article in their latest edition, I was able to connect directly with locals who had information. I'm always ready to have the phone slammed in my ear when calling around looking for information on big cats in the area. But here in the Arthurshire, I received a warm reception from locals regardless of their stance on the topic and found myself on the receiving end of some friendly and quite accommodating country town service. If you're down this way, you're quite welcome to pop in for a quick cup of tea and uh, touch base with you and communicate with you a bit better. Well, if you're over this way or something, look me up. I'd sure be glad to talk to you. Hello. Oh, he's on the shearing shed roof at the moment, so he he would love to speak to you about it. His father actually saw it. When all this COVID shit gets over and you decide to come over here, give us a hoy and you can use my place as a uh, base if you like. Then you can bring the cart and the bush chooks. We'll sit down and drink a few. The first property David O'Reilly investigated in quartering was run by brothers Ross and Dennis Earnshaw. The media circus surrounding this farm, as well as being misquoted on more than one occasion, left the farmers quite guarded when David first arrived. But they decided that David was more genuine in his search for the truth compared with other journalists who'd come by, so they proceeded to tell him their story. I managed to get in touch with Ross Earnshaw, who was happy to share a few stories from all those years ago. At that stage, we had a quartering farm, a 3,000 acre pastoral lease. That's now a flora and fauna reserve. That's where the problems will come, and that joins up with bush further west, and it goes, runs all the way into Collie, more or less, all the way. Well, I think Charlie Sumner sort of had trouble down that way before we had trouble. Gears losing stock. He found can- kangaroos have been eaten, and um, yeah, and he was finding kangaroos with the heads eaten off, and that some were eaten, that type of stuff. We used to hear screaming noise well, one or two times a year. We haven't heard it for now for quite a long time, but um, at the time there was, we could we often heard it. Yeah, but just a scream. It was like someone screaming here. It sounded it was definitely like a cat. But we had some stock killed. We were losing um, grown sheep, broken necks, and that just crunched around the neck or the head. We were having um, two or three days for quite a while. You can see where they pulled them down, and they landed quite a distance away from where they first hit the dirt. You know, chased, chased, and caught, brought down. They dragged a little bit. The lambs have just disappeared when they were born. Just, just killing them, just killing them. Might, might have been just juveniles playing, learning to catch, kill. Yeah, certainly, you know, there weren't dogs. And if there's not a dog, what else would it be? Dog usually pulls the sides out of them or, you know, tears the wool and that. But um, this, this wasn't it, they just killed them. We saw two walking along there to the bush, two cats following each other. Mainly brownish colour. I thought they were sheep. That's how big they were. Yeah, and there, but there was no sheep in that paddock, so... They were just following the bush, edge of bush around. They stood out. That's the first time we saw something unusual. Yeah, I made up a um, trap to catch some foxes, and it's um, eight foot high, well mesh silo. It's eight foot up, eight foot off the ground. I'll put um, a bit of meat in there. I made trails with um, 
whale oil, drag some trails of rope whale oil around to bring it to it. I had a spring-loaded door, trap door in front. You can't open it. It's very solid. Anyway, in the morning it was, um, door was shut, the food was gone and um, nothing there. There was nothing left in it in the morning. Would a fox get out of it? Yeah, well, what, would, what was in there then? It ate what was in it and um, climbed out or jumped. So, um, yeah, that was a bit baffling. I don't know if it's a cougar. There's a big cat running around. I know that. David O'Reilly spent many days and long nights in quartering, looking for enough evidence to convince him that there was a story here worth reporting. David continued to talk with as many locals as he could whose stock had been mauled or found kangaroos killed in ways they'd never seen before or even seen something that they claimed was a puma. But what struck David the most was the genuine nature and honesty of all the people who he thought had absolutely nothing to gain by making these stories up. I was haunted by what I perceived as the integrity and sincerity of the people I'd met, but I'd still had a host of questions that remain unanswered. The next few stories are from people who were in and around quartering at the time of David's investigation and had some kind of experience they couldn't explain. Greg Rossetti shares a few things about what he remembers as a young farmer down in quartering. I do recall at the time the landing percentage halved one year. I was just out of the blue and then the following year it returned. I do remember Ross Earnshaw's dad, he drove this great big blue old Pontiac thing, bloody yank tank, and then he rolled up with another retired farmer from up this way with a couple of dead lambs in the back of, in the boot. You know, I've seen the odd dead lamb every day. They're up in the bastards. I know what wedgies do. I know what foxes do. I know what crows do. You know, they kick and maul and carry on, eat the back of them out. This day, he rolled up and had his couple of dead lambs in the back of the vehicle and they had a chomp out the back of the neck. Not more, just a chomp. Unbelievable. Like yesterday, I can remember it. You know, you got to have something of fairly good jaw pressure to do that and sharp enough teeth. I mean, foxes pull and maul and you know what I mean? There was definitely something. To me, there was enough people with, with, with credible integrity, you know, like the old the old Putland fella and my uncle and Charlie Sumner's. They weren't given to flights of fancy. <laughs> but, yeah, they did cop a lot of ridicule. Yeah, that's the sort of shit that happened. So, and, and everyone was always a bit sceptical. There was a couple of brothers. There was one still alive. Tom Webb, he may recall the story. I, I remember him telling me, God, he'd have to be 80. I don't know where he lives now. They've sold out of farming. They were absolute non-believers. They would laugh in your face. Back in the day, I was in a rifle club. I wasn't with them on this day, and three of them went to a tournament. They went down south to a place called Chowra, fairly heavily forested. Somewhere south of Mayanup, there was a cougar sitting on the side of the road. They went from total ardent disbelievers to saying, what a crock of shit. They come back, and, and I knew them pretty well. And what? I go, bullshit, you seen it? In the cougar. And I go, yep. Greg put me onto Tom Webb, who was a huge critic of big cats in the area, until he saw something himself. I asked Tom what he would have said to me if I'd told him I'd seen a big cat in the area before his encounter. Uh, bullshit. Plainly, yeah. Many years ago, we were going oh, south from Darken. Jeez, I can't even remember the year now. God, probably be mid, yeah, the mid-70s. Jeez, that's a long while ago. 45 years ago now. We're crossing the uh, Blackwood River at Euland Crossing. I think we were going down the Chowra Tone River. A couple other guys with us in the car, and we definitely saw like a big cat. 
It was sort of our turn to head towards that just before it entered into the bush on the side of the road. We were all very surprised at the time. We all looked at each other and said, did we just see that going into the bush off the road? It wasn't a dog or anything like that, or just a little wild cat. It was definitely a black panther. That's what it looked like. It was definitely a big cat. Still sticks to the mind. Those days, there was a lot of bush around before they got heavily into the clearing. And there's the reserve there around that river, you see. A lot of bush is an ideal spot for a big cat. But after that, we kept it pretty quiet because no one was going to believe us, you see. Everyone would say, you're mad, scaremongering. They would have just said you had one too many, but it was early in the day before we were drinking. This is the first time I've thought of it for over 30 years, you know. Whether it got away from a bloody circus or... A lot of people started doing researching on circuses and there was a story years ago, you know, when like one of the trailers felt rolled over. They wouldn't tell you that they'd lost a wildcat in the bush. They'd keep it quiet. Jeff, another local from in and around Quartering, shares his thoughts on the topic of big cats. Um, well, we call it the Quartering Cougar around here. There's something out there, like, there definitely is. Years ago, a sighting in the car and, like, at night, and, yeah, there was definitely, you know, eyes, and uh, then they just, they were looking at me, and then they just turned and shot across the road like it was way bigger than a sheep or anything like that. It seemed to have just disappeared. You know, I caught it in the spotlights and, you know, sort of swung out into the paddock and shone around and looked around. Yeah, it just, just disappeared. But yeah, there's a, there was a lot of a lot of stories around that time. Like there was a, um, an older bloke that lived up at Bothell, um, Jim Putlam. He, he was as honest as, you know, the sun comes up and he heard this noise. It was like a screaming noise and went outside and there's this bloody cat sitting on his wood heap and he went in to get the gun and when he came out, it was just gone, of course. But... Jim Putlin was a local farmer that had earned his reputation as an honest and decent man who would never tell a fib. I heard this from literally every interview I had in and around quartering. When Jim tells people he saw something, they believed him. When Jim came forward with his story, it gave a voice to others who would have normally remained tight-lipped about it. Jim's son, Andrew Putlin, tells his dad's story as he remembers it. I was here at the time, the old man saw it. It was that night. Well, man, didn't drink straight as the days long, you know, and uh, so he, he wasn't ever going to fabricate a story or anything. We were in the house and the neighbours had a little um, dog of some sort and he used to run over to here and stir up our dogs. So and the dogs would be going off. So he went out with a dolphin torch, I think, to shoo this little dog away. And he just went past the woody and then uh, got the light around and then this thing was just standing on a rock just behind our chook house. And, and it just stood there and just, just looked at him pretty much. And when he come back to the house, he was pale. He was, he was white as a ghost, I thought. Yeah, no, when he uh, told the story about it. He said it had, a tail, it had a tail as long, if not nearly as long as its body, and um, he drew the shape of it on the ground and everything. You know, very, very long tail, cat-like, big. Once he'd, he'd seen it, there was people contact him that never had said anything before. But I think towards Collie, there's been more, there were sightings over there since. But a lot of people just wouldn't say anything just because of the ridicule and that sort of stuff, I think, earlier on. Earnshaws were having sightings out there and they were having losses and carcasses eaten and that sort of stuff. When they were skinning them, they were finding deep punch marks beyond the neck on some of the animals. And it was going in and taking out the, the organ inside the animal, underneath by the rib flap and getting in and taking out the organ. 
just after the incident, we, we saw a set of eyes that we couldn't describe. It sort of looked like a couple of little spotlights shining back at you, sort of, when you shined a light at whatever this was. But we were just out looking with a spot, and we picked up something like in, in some neighbouring timber. It wasn't Cox's eyes, and it, it was had, had very bright eyes, I thought. But things will make your hair stand up on the back of your neck sometimes. Ian and Teresa live on a property in the area and contacted me to share a bunch of stories from over the years that just didn't add up, including strange sightings in more recent months. We're at Duranillum, which is just up from Quartering, and we've seen something in the last month, very recent, and, and we're not the only ones. So, look, now we're more than happy to, to help because there's definitely something there. Years ago when our kids were little, I used to take them uptown to play badminton. And on the way home, we come over the hill and, and the fence runs down next to the road. There was definitely something that ran down the fence that it wasn't a sheep, it wasn't a fox, it was big. It wasn't black, it was brownie goldy. It just went straight down the fence. Compared to a fox, at least double the size, if not more, it was big. It wasn't the, the complete height of a fence, but it was getting up there. The one we had was a what they call a big weather, a big sheep. It would have been a two-year-old. So it's quite big and they have like button horns on them. And we went over to check the sheep and this thing looked like it. It was just all wool hanging off the side of its face and everything. So we picked it up and we thought, well, it's really strange. It had blood all down the side of its face. And when we brought it home and rang, um, uh, we had a local vet. And she came out and she said, oh, no, something's a bit strange. So they, they put it down and she actually scunned the head. So if you just visualise a sheep where its nose is and go back up the back of its head, you've got the two little button horns sticking up and then you've got the back of the head and the neck. There was actually teeth mark over the top of its head from the back, punctured down the front of its nose, they were actually punctured in the shape of a top jaw and puncture marks in the back of its head and they'd actually punctured the skull. It was quite obvious what it was because she's a vet and we all saw it and it was definite holes in the skull. I'll just call my husband because he really'd like to catch up with you. Hands it. G'day Ben, how are you going? I know uh, quite a few people that haven't had anything to gain from saying they've seen these things, have spoken out, and there's definitely something... Oh, at, the, at the moment, there appear to be some black cats around. Just recently, I shone the spotlight in between the sheds. The dogs were getting a little bit disturbed, and as I shone a bit of light between the sheds, these very bright eyes reflected back at us. I thought, golly gosh, what's that? Probably the size of a working dog, you know, a medium-sized working dog. And yeah, when it took off, it just it didn't rush off. It just meandered off quietly around the back of the sheds and over into the neighbour's place. It's a little bit bigger than a dog uh, and black, and it just quietly moved off, and that was was a cat. They're definitely larger than the feral cats, and uh, uh, they they don't survive around here, I'm afraid, because our dogs, <laughs> I'm very against feral cats, I'm afraid, so anything that meows is history. <laughs> that was probably about two months ago, and the neighbour also <clears throat> across from us, is, um, he's quite convinced there's something disturbing his stock there. And a very strange one we had years ago, um, we bought a, a stud ram, and we were just... Um, checking the paddock one day and here it is dead and the only um, visual damage to it that was missing its, um, its running gear they were just torn out so, so for a fox or anything to do that is, is just totally unusual so that that was a bit of a strange one but the, the more strange one was um, quite a few years prior to that when we had a, a sheep that we were checking them and it looked like it had 
been struck in the in the face um, under the jaw area and its chest. So we got the dogs and um, and run it down, and then we realised that it was coming from blood out of its forehead. We had a look at it and I put it out of its misery, and it had been bitten around the eye sockets. So for for a dog to do that, it, it just wouldn't be on it. It had to be a very big bite. Our local vet came out and scanned the, the, the skull and said, oh, you need to get this identified as to what it could be. And we rang up the APB and um, they spoke to us and said, oh, yeah, look, look, we'll be out tomorrow. And in my wisdom, I left it on the back table. Of course, when we came to get it tomorrow, the dogs had pinched it. <laughs> so we never had any identification. So it was definitely bitten from the front by something with, with quite a large grip. Our local vet thought it was something, you know, rather large to have done it. Andrews farmed all his life in quartering and briefly shares his thoughts on big cats in the region. I was only a young fellow when it was happening. I remember we weren't allowed outside when we were kids after dark, conning. I reckon there was a circus crash near Donnybrook. Seemed to lose a lot of lambs a couple of years. We probably all were losing lambs about the same time. A fox would kill, but... Not in big numbers, like we were losing huge numbers back in the day. Uh, we just seemed to come through and wake up the next morning and be heap of dead lambs. And we do lose some to wedges and stuff, but they usually take the carcass with them. There's not much left of the carcass, but they just crush you on the neck, like a cow cat grabs its prey, bites you on the neck. So uh, kill them, just kill them for fun, conning. Like, they were more crushed you on the back of the neck. There was a couple of old bushmen and the dogs were chase something in the bush and fucking the dogs came back and sat at his heels. They weren't going in there again, scared the shit out of the dogs. Uh, Dad told me the story, one of his mates actually saw it, a big black cat. He went up to Perth the next day and looked at the big cat and that's what he saw, so. Tim Earnshaw is a cousin of Ross and Dennis and remembers taking care of Quartering Farm when they were away on business. Tim shares a few stories that gave him no doubt that something foreign to the area was lurking in the shadows. That was the late 70s. So Dennis and Ross were uh, harvesting contractors, big time harvesting contractors. And they went as far as east of Esperance and right up to Northampton. And I used to go down to Cordring and just keep an eye on the place. Here I spent a lot of very cold nights roaming the boundaries of Cordring Farm. Yeah, we knew there was something out there. There was a lot of people losing sheep. There was sheep going one, two a week. We want to sort this out. What the hell is killing our stock? Get one, one way or the other. We'll know what we're fighting against. It wasn't dogs. We knew there wasn't dingoes. Dogs are messy killers. They rip and tear. They just, yeah, run them down, then just tear them to pieces. The dog attack, yeah, there's wool everywhere. They don't generally eat too much. As for pigs, they're not going to attack full-grown sheep. They'll attack newborn lambs or something that's sick that can't get away from them. But back then, there was no pigs in that area at all. You get a fox, would not attack a full-grown sheep. They'll attack a lamb. When they're skinned off and you find a broken neck and down the back of the body you find puncture wounds in the actual spinal area. So obviously something's jumped on their back, grabbed them and snapped their neck. Which tail would take on a newborn or small lamb, but they would never attack a full-grown sheep. They just don't have it. Which tails, they'll pick bits and pieces, whatever they want, but they don't devour that amount of meat. 
they've been pretty much cleaned out and they were fresh killed. We knew there was something else out there. For a week to 10 days, you had two blokes at a time sitting in a hide overlooking a mob of ewes and lambs that were getting hit and every 15, 20 minutes looking through the night scope, checking over the sheep, putting the crosshairs on foxes they'd like to pull the trigger but couldn't and sheep were still getting killed. The cat is a very cunning animal. You've got something that's cunning and they seem to have a sixth sense of when they're being watched. There's too many uh, reports coming in from credible people, religious people, that wouldn't say shit for a shilling and you hear they wouldn't lie. I've spent a lot of time out spotlighting quartering farm. I've seen eyes that bright that there was no way it could have been anything else. And you see them out in reasonably open country, especially down at Cordring. Right, it's obviously going to hit the bush, try and cut it off, and they're gone. Might get a flash back in the bush. A big cat will not look at a spotlight like a fox or a dog or a household cat. We'll just sit there and look at them. You get a flash, and they're gone. I'm going back to about 1975. We had to either walk a mile across the paddocks to a school bus main road or I rode a push bike two mile. My sister saw a cat half a mile from our house and it spooked her. It was a form coloured cat, bigger than a sheepdog, with a long tail. She was only about 150 yards away from it and uh, after that she never walked the school bus again. Dennis and Ross had been keeping an eye out in the wet areas and we had paw prints. They did plaster casts. Around the 200 pound, it would be a big cat, a big cat. Yeah, I've shot a lot of moggies and uh, yeah, no, these were bigger. Well, we've had quite a few reports and a lot of them are too scared to say anything. A lot of them, but they don't want to be ridiculed. We've copped it for bloody years. I still cop it today with the APB at the time and those that think they know everything are unwilling to open their minds and accept that there actually might be something out there. But there's definitely a big cats of some sort down there. This is what we've seen, this is what we know. You either believe it or you don't. And if you don't want to, hey, get out of me face. David O'Reilly was leaving no stones unturned with his investigation, speaking with farmers, zoo owners and government officials, but for David, this just wasn't enough. He wanted to immerse himself a little deeper into cougar country before publishing a story, so he requested to go out at night with some of the hunters who'd travelled from far away to camp out deep in hot cougar ground, hoping to bag themselves the big prize, but in recent nights hadn't really seen anything worth reporting. Although the hunters were a little reluctant to have a journalist tag along, they decided to let David come along for the ride anyway, just in case he was their lucky charm. And it might have just worked. The night's journey took us to the perimeters of paddocks across the farm. Peering into the hypnotic darkness, we searched for any erratic movement until our eyes ached. Suddenly, high up in the ridge in the spotlight, a sharp light appeared. This teasing ghost-like apparition had done just enough to ignite semi-hysteria inside all of us. We tried to plot its movements, but it was clear that it was long gone. One of the shooters found paw marks where the animal had been and stated he'd never seen anything like them before. 
This night out was enough for David O'Reilly to write his first article on the big cat phenomenon in Western Australia. I spent four days travelling from Perth to Darkin and all the way up to Bunbury, talking with farmers whose stories were all the same. Even the most cynical of locals agreed there must be something out there. Property owners are losing hundreds of sheep with some dying of broken necks. Qualified trackers are finding paw prints claiming to be from a large feline standing up to a metre high at the shoulder. David's article stirred up a hornet's nest into the big cat phenomenon, with media showing up in droves trying to get some of the action. But the farmers were getting a much better response from the media than the Agricultural Protection Board, or more commonly known as the APB. Rather than addressing the concerns laid out by the community, APB investigators were more interested in making the farmers feel stupid for making their claims. Without any genuine help from the government department, quartering farmers were left to take matters into their own hands. Dennis Earnshaw invited a friend down to the farm who was rumoured to be one of the best shots in Western Australia. Jeff Martin drove all the way from Carnamar in the state's northern Wheatbelt and camped out on the Earnshaw's property. Jeff Martin, still living in the northern Wheatbelt, was more than happy to tell me about the time he was invited to quartering to take out the mystery predator. Jeff's arrival ruffled a few feathers with some of the other shooters who'd spent countless hours throughout the night with no results. Being the new kid on the block, Jeff put on a display in order to stop all the chest beating and get on with the job. I lived in Carnamar, which is about 500 k's from where Dennis lived. He lived in um, quartering. When the pickering queried me about my shooting, he was querying if I could shoot or not. He was going to run back to Dennis and say, this bloke, you're wasting your time going over him because you can't shoot. So we stuck a 5 cent piece on top of a post. So I blew it to the shit house. He took the bloody 5 cent piece and said, shit, this bastard can shoot. That's the last I saw of Bert Pickering. He left just after that and never went back. Never went back to a quartering. So I know I can still pick up a rifle and shoot the eye of a kangaroo at 200 metres. I know I can still do that. I had a license to eradicate kangaroos through the Department of Ag. Those days, I, I just didn't miss. Reputedly, the best shot in Western Australia, Dennis invited me down, and I went down with the, my ex now. They put us up in a yellow and white caravan, a 22-foot caravan, out the back on their lawn. We were inside with a fire going in there, Annie and Dennis's house, and the kids had gone to bed. This bloody thing let out a real nerve-jolting bloody scream. Just like a woman getting murdered, I just went cold all over, absolutely cold. Dennis looked at me, he said, want to go for a run? I said, bloody oath. Quartering's renowned for, for cold. Um, there was ice on the, on the paddocks, they were white with ice, freezing cold down there. So he had a um, HQ Holden ute. We left the house, and he drove, but he had the spy. He had a glove on. He couldn't hold onto the light because his hands would freeze. Next one, I said, bloody flash. I said, yes, go back to your left. Go back to your left. We hadn't gone a couple of k's and the bloody thing was there in the paddock. It would have been 10 minutes out of the house, 15 minutes max. There he was in the paddock. Yeah. Well, I was on the passenger side in the front of his ute. And he had his right arm out the window over the top of the roof of the car and shining straight across into the paddock, the clover paddock, and then the, the cat was out there. So that's exactly how it happened. I had as good of a viewing of it than anybody because I'm using a 16-power scope and it's just like you can reach out and go with your hand. And 
had set up an adjusted style. I could even say it was, you know, how they cats lick their chest. He was doing that a couple of times. It stopped, it turned and looked at us and it was so clear. It, it was a cougar, there's no doubt about what it was. It was a mature animal. It was a very distinct bloody big head. I could see it just like I was, I'd be shooting a kangaroo and there it was. And it was in, it was in good condition, I can tell you that. By Jesus, but yeah, I said it down as, as just sitting there, he said, well, shit, and thing. I looked at it for about 10 seconds, but I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, and uh, I got a little bit bloody shaky, but just sat there. Then it said, I shoot them. And then for Christ's sake, it was about 10 past one when I had that fire the bloody shot. It was freezing. By this time, I was getting a bit jittery and shaky and I wasn't steady enough. When I fired, the bullet left the rifle. I thought I'd hit it because I saw him take off. I said, put the light to the left, the light to the left, and Dennis pulled it around. We saw him and he went into that bush, mate. He must have been doing bloody 60 kilometers an hour. He was flying. Sometimes when you shoot something in the, in the heart, it'll do the hole and do a couple of spin, and it'll take off flat out. Of course, if it is a hard shot, it'll go faster and faster. All of a sudden, it'll just go down and drop and skid because the heart bleeds out. Well, if it's a 308, which I was using, it wouldn't matter what part of the cat I hit, it would stop it because they are terribly, terribly um, aggressive bullet. And yeah, I thought I'd hit it because it just spun in the air. I thought I might have clipped it. And I still may have. Ross and a couple other guys went back the morning after I left to found out where the buddy, bullets hit the buddy fence wire. They actually found the graze on the rusty fence, of course, it grazed it and brought the buddy, uh, the, the galvanised out a little bit. We found where the bullet zipped the fence and went up towards the cat, but it obviously missed the cat. The bullet grazed the, it grazed the wire, and then the bullet travelled out because it got deflected. It landed alongside the cat because obviously the bullet hitting the ground frightened the shit out of him, but that's why I thought I winged the bastard, but I didn't wing him at all. I just didn't hit him because of the, the bullet, the projectile hit the bloody wire. If I'd have hit it, that would have changed a lot. It would have changed in my life. Would have changed a lot of things around me. If I'd have hit that, it could have changed the whole attitude of the people in West Australia. There's hundreds of thousands of acres of thicket. It's even too thick for kangaroos to hop through. It's paradise for a tiger. Well, there's more than one down there. Christ's sake, there, there could be any amount down there now. Any amount. So the question still remains, were all these sightings and stock kills isolated events only in quartering and surrounds? It was time to branch out across the state of Western Australia to see if other people shared similar stories. Chris O'Hora is a camel breeder and owner of Calamunda Camel Farm in the hills just east of Perth. Chris has spent the majority of his life in the scrub and has an extensive knowledge on wildlife in WA. Chris tells me about the time something was stalking his property and the moment he found out what it was. We run a farm on a small acreage for camel dairy, camel breeding, transport training, rides, treks, all that sort of stuff. Camel tourism. We were the first commercial camel dairy site in Australia. I'm just 26 k's out of the CBD in the Perth Hills, Darling Scarp. We've been uh, here on our camel farm in the Perth Hills for about 32, 33 years now. 
my brother-in-law and he told me his story that there were large black cats seen in the Perth Hills environs. He'd actually seen them out in the bush in a similar environment that we've got now. Our house is probably about 20 metres from the bush forest environment itself. And one night there was this really interesting sound. It was a scream. I liken it to a woman in very much uh, in distress. The scream was just absolutely terrifying. And I'd heard something similar many years ago as a young child, like a tomcat screaming. It was that sort of sound, but it was far, far more intense. The other thing with this particular sound, it, it wasn't stationary and it was moving along and through a track adjacent to the farm, which is one of the premier walk tracks in uh, Western Australia, the Bibbulmun track. And this animal was basically, from my observations, was moving um, along that corridor in the forest. Uh, that went on for about 10 or 15 minutes and then petered out into the distance. And it, it was a situation was, wow, did you hear that? Yeah, we heard it. We didn't know what it was. So the next morning I actually went out and did a bit of tracking. I've been a bushman for quite a few years. And I did some tracking and I found some fresh boar on the ground. And it was the imprint of a palm size, an adult palm sized paw print. Knowing the difference between retained claws and external claws, for example, difference between dogs and cats, there were no claw marks, you know, in the pad. Now that happened again on the other side of our property and I heard the sound, I was more aware of what it was. Also went out and tracked that area uh, later on and found similar tracks. So this would have been a couple of weeks apart, maybe a month or so. I was walking around my property. My property is in a shallow valley with a watercourse running through it and a sort of clay, heavy loam environment, something that leaves footprints really well. And at a creek area near the house, within probably 30, 40 metres of the house, I could see a, another footprint, similar size as what I'd seen previously. And at the point of the creek on one side, you can see where the animal has dug in, pushed off, and cleared eight to 10 foot um, of open space and landed on the other side. Similar footprints, uh, no um, exposed claws, a large pad. And in this particular one, I took an opportunity to do a couple of uh, plaster casts on, on the footprints that I had. I was realising that this particular beastie was on the farm or using the farm corridor, probably the opportunity for rabbits and uh, kangaroos. That would also be a food source, but I was looking to get some clarity. Um, I need to find out if anybody else can substantiate what it is, take my castings and, and just determine what it was. I contacted a lady here at that time and she took my castings away and she was part of a large animal uh, research group in the Perth uh, area. She determined from her knowledge that it was actually a track from a large cat. We spent a number of nights with trail cameras, with uh, scents and baits and cages, trying to substantiate what it is we saw and perhaps trap and capture this animal. Now, I'm, I'm coming down in a downhill uh, direction and just on the other side of the creek. And I notice a black shape to my left and I went, that seriously is a large cat. About the size of a large dog, so that Great Dane size, with that huge, great, big, long, sweeping, awesome tail, a lovely slender body, and well, I was definitely sure of what it was. It was a panther, unmistakably a panther. 
there are some nice photos if you do some Google searching um, of the Black Panther. That Black Panther, that is what I saw. The close proximity, it was within 30 metres of me. It looked and saw me. We made eye contact. Well, I would have put this around about the 40 to 50 kilo mass size. And I said, I've been a farmer for a while and, you know, I've always been a bushman and a hunter. So I immediately scarped to the house, grabbed the weapon of suitable calibre for my uh, use. There were a number of openings on the tree vegetation line as you go down my property. I proceeded another 10 or 15 metres further down the property and waited at the next opening. And as it came out through the next opening, it was about a driveway width, so about um, three to four metres. Um, and the animal wasn't in any particular hurry. It was just meandering down the creek line. I drew sight on the cat and pulled the trigger. And it's one of the few times I've had a misfire. And when a heavy bolt goes click, it definitely, you know, it's a misfire. The animal looked at me. I reloaded, but that time the animal had moved onto the next part of the vegetation. And I rushed down to the bottom of my property where the last opening would be to um, get a second shot. I got down there and the animal was nowhere to be seen. Now I went and investigated the tracks. They were the same size tracks that I'd previously seen. Significantly, the animal itself that I sighted had um, similarly shown up in a couple of other suburbs, uh, north and south, um, similar sightings around the same time, sightings around Jarrodale and Armadale and north and south of me, basically, that it had been spotted um, in those areas as well. Having the cat around and not seeing it again didn't necessarily mean we didn't see the result of the cat being here. It was in, at the end of the property where we had found a recently born camel calf. Guts all cleaned out, no entrails left, the whole cavity was cleaned out. So the head was still intact, uh, the, ho the hind was still intact, so basically the big beefy meaty pieces were gone there and, and all, uh, you know, the heart, the lungs, the cavity, you know, all of that was just gone. It's just the way that this camel had basically been gutted. Very, very distinctive attack. Just the way it was cleaned out. I could say a tiger kill, but a, a, a cat kill. And it's not a cat trying to uh, ratify my observations and my experiences to anybody. I really don't care what people think. I know what I saw. I've had other people say, I know what they've seen. And we are both talking about something extremely similar, not necessarily the same animal, but a very similar animal in a different environment or location. I could understand there are some very big large feral cats. I've seen large feral cats. I've shot large feral cats. This is not a cat. This is what I would call a panther. One night on Christmas Eve, Nadine had the shock of her life when she saw something unexpected walking alongside the road in Margaret River. So um, I'd been working uh, that night in Margaret River and I was coming home, it was Christmas Eve, driving along a road, Woodjadup Road, which heads west from uh, Margaret River, and it was dark. And I initially saw these lights coming towards me on the opposite side of the road, and I thought it was a car in the first instance, but then I got confused. I was trying to figure out why the perspective was all wrong, and it just didn't seem to be panning out to be a car at all, but I couldn't make it out. 
my brain didn't understand what, what I was seeing. Um, and as it got closer, it actually veered over to the left hand to my side of the road, basically, so it was directly coming at me. Um, I slowed right down. These lights went onto the side of the road on the verge. It stopped. I passed it. There was nothing obscuring my vision at all, and I was really just crawling along. What I was seeing was this enormous cat. It was huge. It was black. Eyes were big. Its head was enormous. It was like the size of a soccer ball, bigger than a soccer ball. It was big. And it was staring directly at me. It was kind of poised um, in a walking stance with its tail straight out behind it. Its legs were, one foot was in front of the other. Uh, it just stock still staring at me as I passed really slowly. I was in awe. I was kind of thinking, this is magnificent. This is just the most beautiful creature. And at the same time, I was getting these feelings of, I walk along this street. I, 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 I cycle along the street. This is very, very disconcerting, you know? I just sort of drove by so slowly and it literally followed me with its eyes the whole way uh, and just stood there stock still and just let me gawk at it. It was, I don't know, it didn't seem afraid at all. It was very clear, very clear. So I knew what I was seeing. I knew, I knew exactly what I was looking at. It was a panther. It was a big black panther. There was no doubt that it was anything other than that. In the local rag, they were interviewing a farmer and I think he was kind of annoyed. He didn't really want to be in the limelight at all, but he was very jacked off that all his stock was being eaten by these beasts. It wasn't like your normal kill. It was a definite cat kill. And he was rightly pissed off, basically, that it wasn't being acknowledged or even like looked at properly by calm, I think it was at the time. I don't find it that uh, unlikely that this could be. It just seems extraordinary. These things can happen. Cindy had a brief encounter traveling home after work one night northwest of Augusta. So 2017, and I was working at a local tavern on Kadada, which is a small town between Augusta and Karen. I was driving home, and then all of a sudden, like a big shadow sort of let in my headlights, and just loped across in front of me, like, a, like it was a black animal, but it, it didn't run like a dog, and it didn't run like a cat. It was black and large. Yeah, I mean, I slowed down, I turned around, went back, couldn't see anything. I know from being on a farm what feral cats look like, and it definitely wasn't a feral cat. The closest thing I could say it was, was like a panther. When I saw it, I was like, shit, that's what everyone reckons they've seen. People around the area have have said there's like been some sort of like weird animal that has taken, you know, lambs and things, but not foxes, it's something different. They're like a cougar or a panther or a big cat. John went camping east of Perth one weekend in hope of shooting a few feral pigs in the area. John shares with me the moment that took him a while to process that he wasn't actually watching a documentary. About 10 years ago, um, at Christmas time, over here in Perth, and I was on my brother-in-law's farm, which is in York, about 100 k's out of Perth. We went camping, uh, that's my family and uh, my brother-in-law's family. We were camping on the property one night and uh, decided to get up early in the morning and go pig shooting. There's quite a few feral pigs coming through the catchment area into their property, and we're out going around the paddocks, the normal one that we'd normally do, probably about 4.30, 5 o'clock, just as the sun's coming up. We decided to go down the back boundary line towards the neighbour's property. We came into a clearing, stopped the car when we saw something in the paddock and 
just couldn't really process what we were looking at. There were three of us that saw it. There was myself, my brother-in-law and his son in the back of the car looking at this thing going, what the heck's that? What we were looking at was something that looked about the size of a, a kangaroo sitting down, but it was jet black. And yeah, I'm thinking, this is going through my head at the time, like, okay, it's the size of a roo, but roos aren't black. So it was a slight breeze, but the breeze was blowing in our direction. So there's nothing that it could pick up with scent. We were stopped. Um, the car was turned off. It turned and looked directly towards us. And as soon as it did that, it got up on its legs. It's, it's now the height of a, of a big dog and turned and ran in a big arc away from us and towards the fence line. So we're watching this thing run. It's pulling in the ground like I'm watching Discovery Channel. Great big long tail out the back of it, basically in shock. And I've never seen anything move so fast in my life. It then got to uh, the fence line, one bound, straight over the fence line, missed the track on the other side and into the bush and gone. I've been going up there for years, shooting my late 50s now, but I've been going up there for the last 35 years. Never seen anything like that in my life. I know what I saw. It was definitely a cat. It moved like lightning. It was amazing. I've been, I've been back to that same area repeatedly. I haven't seen it again, although I did get talking to a lady through another group and uh, she's seen one in the same vicinity. I think about this, you know, frequently, like, every second day type of thing. It was just like watching uh, a Discovery Channel program on cats, the way it ran. I'm really interested in it because I know it's there and the only way I can explain it to someone is that if you're out in the bush and you saw a polar bear, your mind would be telling you it can't be a polar bear because we don't have polar bears in Australia. Yet your eyes are telling you something different and best way I can explain it to someone, I know what I saw but I'm told it's not here. And so I'm trying to figure out what else is it, but it was nothing else. It was, it was a cat, it was a big cat. I thought it's a possibility, but uh, when you see it yourself, uh, it's something that doesn't leave you. You don't forget it. As David O'Reilly continued his investigation in quartering, he noticed tension building between farmers and the Agricultural Protection Board. Nothing the farmers did or said seemed to get taken seriously. Any big cat sightings, no matter how credible the source, were instantly dismissed. Unusual stock kills were scoffed at. Even hand-sized paw prints that were confirmed by experts to be feline were just ignored. The APB had chosen their narrative and they weren't budging. Things got even worse when APB investigators began to accuse farmers of fabricating evidence. Ross Earnshaw tells me about the APB's response when he showed them one of many trees which had unusually large scratch marks. I did find a um, straight white gum and there were this great big tracks all the way up it, great big claw marks. Something big had climbed up it. Yeah, it's, it's huge what we went up there. You can see the tiny little possum tracks and these great big scratches going up this tree. You can see around the side of the tree where his front feet grabbed and his back feet just pulling the bark away as he went up. You know, there's only one thing will climb up a tree and it's a cat. If it's a cat, it's a bloody big cat. And it, we showed him and, no, that was um, made with galvanised roof and nails. That's what those tracks were made of. He knew exactly what nail was used. He was good. The APB told farmers that some of the stock kills they examined were victims of feral pigs. 
When I asked around about this, I was told that this might have been possible if the pig found a way to jump on the back of a sheep, hold on tight with its little hooves, wrangle it to the ground, snap its neck, then devour the carcass overnight without leaving a mess, and doing all of this in a big cat costume. The farmer's attitude towards the APB was fast on the decline. They were the experts, and there was to be no arguments. It didn't matter what the farmers said, if it meant hard work or responsibility, the APB just didn't want to know about it. He came here and uh, went about 50 metres in the paddock and said, there, there's your problem, there's your problem. And I thought he was talking about red mice or something. He said, no, those tracks, big tracks, oh, those big tracks. Pigs arrive here, they just dig the place up. They don't just walk around looking at the stars. There's a big bobber using lands about 50 metres away, but <laughs> he reckoned they were pig tracks. <laughs> Bloody hopeless. They certainly weren't um, corporate in some way. They just denial. They were out to prove you were an idiot rather than think there might be something around. We, we had a few deer over here, and some of the deer farmers that tried farming deer and went, you know, it didn't work out. And they opened the gates and they run in the bush. And our ag department, they'll totally deny that there's deer. And every now and again, we use a aerial sprayer. <laughs> and most of them are mad kiwis. <laughs> they'll tell you how many bloody deer are running around in the bush. <laughs> there's deer everywhere. But you, you ask the ag department or the primary industry section of the government, they'll say, no, no such thing. But they'll laugh in your face if you rang them up. One evening, at a local town meeting, the APB had the hide to tell farmers that some of the dead stock they autopsied were victims of mistreatment by the owners. Treating the farmers like fools was one thing, but an insult like this, well, it hit right at the very core of the farmers' existence. To make this observation about some of the state's most respected rural producers did nothing to dissipate the growing antagonism. The claim that the stock was mistreated will become a cornerstone of the government's criticism in the coming months. It was virtually the last straw for the farmers. The APB had not only stepped way over the line with the farmers, they made it personal, and from here it was clear there was no going back. The damage had been done. For the farmers, getting a second opinion from an independent source was well overdue. So concerned were the farmers with what they saw as an indifference and incompetence of the APP officials that they decided to seek qualified help elsewhere. They decided that an alternative opinion was necessary, so they took their dead stock to a private veterinary surgeon for analysis. Peter Brighton, a veterinary surgeon from Bridgetown, had worked as a regional officer in the district with the APB before branching out privately. When the farmers brought Peter his first series of dead sheep in 1978, Brighton was amazed. He told them he'd never seen anything like this in all of his years conducting autopsies. I was able to have a long chat with Peter, who was generous with his time sharing stories of the days in quartering. But unfortunately, he preferred not to get involved in the actual podcast. Although this isn't Peter's voice, this is what he shared with me. When I got involved in this bloody thing, I got in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. The repercussions for me were massive. I used to work for the state government as a veterinary officer, but by that time I was a private vet in Bridgetown. I got involved with the quartering attacks a long time ago when the farmers were losing stock. We did autopsies on sheep and found deep fang puncture marks that went through two vertebrae and out the other side. In all my years of practice I'd never seen anything like it. We took plaster casts of paw prints that were the size of my hand and sent them off to a lab in Denver, Colorado. They had it confirmed that they were from a cat. We had a public meeting with the APB and the local farmers. We presented our evidence, including pathology reports and the samples I'd sent over to Denver. The next day, the police showed up at my practice and took all the plaster casts away. That's when the bullshit really started. I got attacked from every angle you could imagine. 
I was told in no uncertain terms by the Veterinary Surgeons Board to stop investigating or I'd lose my job. They just completely refused to recognise that there was scientific facts to back it up. Look, I'm not interested in getting involved. I got hunted down by the Veterinary Surgeons Board. If I did a podcast, all it'd do for me is attract more attention. I'm sorry, but all it does is lead to more trouble for me. They heard that I had hunted a mountain lion in Montana. Somebody told them about that, so they wanted me to come down and have a look and stuff. I went down uh, two or three di different times, and I rode, rode horses through there. Yeah, they had killed some lambs that was opened up. They had a couple tracks that they showed me that was in the mud. Yeah, it sounds like it sure as the hell could be mountain lion. When we got the phone call from the FUB, it was uh, Death Building. He needed a good tracking dog, and of course, he knew of, of Kruding's reputation. People down in Quartering believed they had a, a Kruger in the area killing the stock. So we brought Kruding out. The next morning, we were out there in the forest. If he got onto a scent, it was a scent that we gave him. We were out there hunting a cat with a dog that knew Kruger scent. I remember when I felt Koenig tug on the leash. And when you get this electrifying tug on the lead, you know he's got the scent. That was the moment when I was just flooded with fear. believe you've seen a panther or a big cat in the Aussie bush, experienced stock kills you couldn't explain, or have information of how these animals might have come to be here, please get in touch via our website, missingpanther.com.au. Get us through the contact page. Just remember, if you do get in touch, all information is kept private unless otherwise discussed, and there's no pressure whatsoever to go on the podcast. So if you think you've got some information that will help and want to remain anonymous, please don't hesitate to reach out. I want to take this moment to thank all of those who have supported Missing Panther through our donation link. Every cent, no matter how big or small, has been greatly appreciated. If you'd like to help support the show, go to our webpage, missingpanther.com.au. Hit the About button, scroll down, and follow the prompts. Also, while I'm asking for favours, if you could take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Review and tell us your thoughts on the series so far. Don't forget to find us on Facebook or Instagram to keep updated on future episodes. Voiceover of David O'Reilly is by Mike Williams, author of Australian Big Cats and Unnatural History. If you haven't already, go to Amazon now and get yourself a copy. For further reading on big cats in Western Australia, Savage Shadow is a staple for any quality bookshelf, written by David O'Reilly and also available on Amazon.com. Special thanks to Francesca Ferraro for helping out behind the scenes with some quality research on location in WA. And also thanks to Kelly from Strange Encounters Perth Facebook page. Thanks also to Roz from Moody Arab for your assistance on the ground deep in cougar country. And thanks to Rebecca South from The Bleat newspaper based in Darkin for your efforts in getting the word out about my research through those articles. Thanks again to Maddie Glenn for showing us your range with another classic voiceover display. Missing Panther is edited and narrated by me, Ben Bede. Music is by Warwick Party. Mastering by Paul Gomesall.